and we are really um, trusting that God is going to speak to all our hearts both today and for the next three weeks and we have now come to Luke chapter 21 we will be doing a chapter 22 3 and 4 over the next few few weeks so you can be reading that ahead of time if you want but we are looking at Luke chapter 21 our title today is living in the end times which I happen to think is a very apt title, given the things that are happening in our world right now and, and uh, even yesterday with the Jews celebrating 70 years uh, back in the land. But we're going to just, first of all, remind ourselves from Luke chapter 21, the first, seven verse, first six verses, I'm going to read them, and then we're going to um, just trust the Holy Spirit to come and speak directly into our hearts today. It says, And Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. This was in the temple area. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So Jesus said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Then as some of the temple then as some of the temple then as some spoke I can hardly read then as some spoke of the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, Jesus said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking about how giving to God counts, how Jesus happened to observe and take note and appreciate that this widow woman gave a, what we often refer to, don't we, as the widow's mite. She gave what in our eyes would have looked to be very little, and yet, as far as he was concerned, she gave more than all the rich people, because he was looking at her heart, and he was looking at what she had left, and he realised that she was giving all that she had. And so this woman was wise. And as I was thinking about wise people, I was reminded of the wise men who came to Jesus and were present. Uh, we often think they came at his birth, and they did come at his birth, but actually it wasn't when he was just born. It was a little bit older. We reckon they came, arrived before he was two years old. Uh, if you read the scriptures, the gospels very carefully, you'll see that uh, they arrived at, at a particular time before uh, Jesus was two years old. And we all know at the Christmas story that they came with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And we know they came to worship and it was wonderful. But the thing is, what was the gold and the frankincense and myrrh used for? Was it just something to worship? I believe, according to scripture, that when the baby Jesus had to be taken down into Egypt, in order to be rescued from Herod who wanted to kill him, that the gold and frankincense and myrrh kept them going. See, God has a purpose for our giving, and God, God is a way ahead of everything, and he'll give, he'll give you what you need before you need it. And so these wise men were wise because they, they came bearing gifts for Jesus. But the question is, how did they know when to come? How did they know that they should be there? Well, if you read Daniel's, uh, the book of Daniel chapter 9, you will see that a prophecy had been given. Now you've got to remember that these wise men came from the east, most likely from Babylon. Babylon was where Daniel was taken as an exile. Daniel was where God gave him the revelation about the timetable, which we refer to as Daniel's 70th week. And that timetable give a lot of information about the exact timing of the Messiah. And so, uh, with, we haven't time to go into it right now, but it would seem that these wise men were reading Daniel's scriptures, the words that Daniel had written, the prophecies, and they were obedient to God and responsive to God so that they came at the right time, bearing gifts which Jesus was going to need. And they were just there on time. What a privilege those wise men had to come and worship him and to see the baby and to be able to bring him gifts. What a privilege. And then alongside of that, we see Jesus as a grown adult, around 30 years of age. We see him probably 
coming up to 33, 32, 33, we see him sitting at the temple. And now it's not the wise men, but it's a wise widow. It's a woman who's coming and she's giving what she has. And Jesus as an adult is sitting and he's taking note of what she's giving. Do you know that God takes note of what you bring to him? He takes note of the worship that you bring to him. He takes note of the love that you bring to him. He takes note of how you translate that into giving. And I just want to encourage you for the giving that you have been doing recently in giving down into Shalom. God takes note of that. You need to be reminded of that. There is that God is pleased when he sees us loving him enough to give to him and to give for his kingdom. And so Jesus took note of this widow. But did you notice that, that others around that day as they were sitting beside Jesus or standing beside him, Jesus spoke to them and he said that this temple, it says this temple was going to come down. It was not going to stay. It says that, that they asked, some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned. Remember it was full of gold. They say there was gold between the stones. It was full of priceless jewels. It was very ornate, a very wealthy place. And as they spoke about the, 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 the beautiful physical temple, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So you see that Jesus was prophesying specifically about the temple. Let's just look down a little bit further to chapter 21, verse 20. A little bit more about the temple it says jesus said when you see jerusalem surrounded by armies then know that its desolation is near then let those who are in judea flee to the mountains let those who are in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her for these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. I want to repeat that. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. I want to repeat that. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus was saying that there was going to be there was going to be a terrible thing happen to the temple. He was saying that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. He was prophesying. And if you if you remember over the last couple of weeks we have read where Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem, where he said, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers a brood under her wings, but you would not. Because he knew that because they were refusing to acknowledge him as their Messiah and to receive him, he understood that they were actually making bringing judgment upon themselves that they were going to have to suffer and it was breaking his heart do you know that god does not want you to have to go through judgment that's why jesus came that you wouldn't have to go through judgment and so jesus in the midst of this scenario with this little widow woman giving in her whatever she had that she could give with her heart wanting to give to god in the middle of all of that He's speaking to all of these other people and he's saying, do you know what? This, this temple's wonderful. It's a great place. But you know, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, then you should, the wise thing to do would be to flee to the mountains because this temple is going to be brought down so that one stone will not stand upon another. Well, the question is, did that happen or not? Well, yes, it did. Because in AD 70, the Roman armies under a man named Titus entered Jerusalem. They surrounded Jerusalem and they literally pulled, they, just, they burnt Jerusalem and they burnt the temple and they literally pulled down every stone, one of the other, in Jerusalem. And during that time, as the temple was being destroyed and as the, as the armies were coming in, there was a number of Jewish people who remembered what Jesus said 
that he had warned them that they should flee to flee to the mountains in Judea and they ran and they ran down into the wilderness of Judea and they went to a place called Masada. Now if you've been with our trips you will have been to Masada and Masada is like a rock in the Judean wilderness where King Herod at that time had prepared Masada in case ever he would be in difficulties, in case his life would be under threat. He had prepared this great place up on top of this mountain of Masada. He had everything there for himself, even a sauna. He was going to live it up. If there was going to be trouble, he was going to be safe. And he had food and he had everything there. Herod never actually had to use it. But these Jewish people who remembered the words of Jesus they ran into the wilderness and they ran down to Masada and they climbed up the rock face with their bare hands and they climbed up on top of it and they stayed on the top of that rock for approximately three years were able to live normal lives up there they were able they had enough food there was a, a big cistern Herod had done everything really well he had a cistern there it was full of it they gathered the water as it came they had plenty of water they were able to have they had lots of food able to grow food and you can go there today and you can see all of that still there you can see the sauna you can see all of this stuff still there you can actually look from the top of Masada and you can look down on the ground and you can see the marks of the Roman encampments. The marks of the encampments are still there. And the Romans sat at the bottom for three years whilst they sat on the top. And eventually, after three years, the Romans began to try and make their way up the side of the mountain. And they, they tried various times before without success, but they tried from the, the back end of it and they began to come up. And they it's a long story, I haven't time to go into, but they began to set fire to things and they actually the Jews realised that they were not, the, the, in fact, the wind was blowing the, the flames away the other direction and then it changed and began to blow towards Masada and the Jews realised they were going to die. And you know that those who were up there, I think it was about 70 people, the, the leader was a man called Eliezer and he made this amazing speech which you can read from the top of Masada. And in this speech he read to his countrymen that how they were Jewish people and they would not bow the knee to the Romans. And how rather than give in and see their children being taken slaves and their wives being killed and raped and made slaves before their eyes, they made this agreement that they would all commit mass suicide. Do you know that each man was responsible for his family to kill each member of the family? And they drew it down to, th there was three people left and they drew lots as to who they would kill each other and finally one fell on his own sword. And when the Romans burst in intending to, to get a great victory, they discovered there was nothing left except dead bodies. This was the spirit of Masada. This was the, this was the Jewish people who were not going to give in. This is the place where for many years after Israel became a nation, they brought their soldiers up to swear. You can see the spirit of a nation, can't you? Where they would never see Masada fall again. And so this is, was in direct fulfillment. Jesus said, when you see the army surrounding Jerusalem, then you should flee to the wilderness. And that's exactly what they did. Now that's just a bit of history, but it was a fulfillment of prophecy. So much prophecy has been fulfilled already so we know that that prophecies have been fulfilled we know that that jesus now is going to give these people away back in in his day before he went to the cross he's now going to give them some information about what's going to happen in the future and we're going to look at that now because uh, that particular prophecy was fulfilled only um, in AD 70 uh, and uh, there are still many more prophecies that have to be fulfilled. So let me read to you from verse 7. It says, So they asked Jesus, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places, and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. 
But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for, for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your heart not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head shall be lost or perished. By your patience possess your souls. Did you notice that when Jerusalem fell, that it would be Jerusalem would be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled? In other words, that from the time that the temple would fall, that for the next number of years, it's turned out to be over 2,000 years, that this would be the time of the Gentiles, when the Gentiles would trample Jerusalem. Now you need to know that when the Romans came in and they took Jerusalem and they took the temple, you need to know that the Jews were taken and scattered across the world and that the Gentiles occupied Israel right up until the Israel was born in 1948 when they became a state. So for 2,000 years, the Jews were in uh, something like 108 different countries right across the world. They were scattered across the world in fulfillment of prophecy because the Old Testament prophet, Old Testament word of God had prophesied that that would happen and that the time of the Gentiles would be fulfilled. So from, from the temple was, was destroyed right up until Israel became a nation, the Gentiles occupied one nation after another and we'll go through them all, the Greeks, the, 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 the Ottomans, all the different people that came and took over Jerusalem, the Turks, uh, the British. It was occupied. The very words that Jesus spoke were fulfilled. And so uh, we know that that has already happened. And so let's just look at a few of these things. Jesus prophesied that people would come in his name and deceive many. We know that... Um, that during the Holy War, that people went out and slaughtered in the name of Christ. And so this has already been fulfilled in, in the history, but it's also happening even now. How many people are killing and doing terrible things in the name of Christ? And Jesus said it would happen and it continues even today. Jesus said that nation would rise against nation, that we would hear of wars and rumors of wars. Matthew 24 says that we would hear of wars and rumours of wars, but we needed to be sure not to be troubled because all of these things were going to come to pass. Now here's a wee bit of information. Since World War II, many countries have been building up massive arsenals of conventional and nuclear weapons. See, it's increasing. Things are on the move. The potential for war grows day by day. And in addition to the potential nuclear war, we have terrorists. We have terrorist war throughout our world, which is on the increase. So we see that, that this is also coming to pass. We see that wars and rumours of wars, nation rising against nation, it's all happening. Earthquakes, famines, pestilences, as well as all of these things are all happening. And again, Famines and, and earthquakes and all of these natural disasters, uh, they are on the increase. Now again, a little bit of information for you. Uh, due to, to flooding and droughts, world food supplies are running low. Many people are expecting a global food shortage and famine in many places. And I'm not here to give doom and gloom because I believe whilst lots of these things are happening, the other side of it is that the light of God is rising and amazing, wonderful, great things are happening. But the both are parallel. As evil is increasing, we need to know and be sure that, that, that God's light and God's power and God's kingdom is on the increase. So this is not doom and gloom, but this is looking at reality at the same time. 
In 20, uh, 2007, the World Health Organization issued a warning that infectious diseases are emerging more quickly and spreading faster around the globe than ever before, and they are becoming increasingly difficult to treat. The United Nations said in its 20, 2007 annual World Health Report that an outbreak of epidemic, outbreak or epidemic in one part of the world can easily threaten threaten billions of people in other parts due to large numbers of modern day travellers. So it's happening. It's happening. Increasing out of all proportion from back in Jesus' day to what it is now, it's on the increase. Regarding earthquakes, scientific data does show that we have been seeing a large increase in seismic activity. According to a number of scientists, another star or large planet is affecting the sun's magnetic field, which is also affecting the Earth's magnetic field. But the core, uh, both the core and the uh, ionosphere, the North Pole is shifting at an accelerated pace and the Earth seems to be expanding. Thus, we should see a continual increase in earthquakes and volcanic, volcanic activity in the coming years. So things are Things are in place when we think when we hear about the you know the the, the poles uh, ice melting and we see the difference in climate and all of these things they're all pointing to fulfilment of what Jesus said that day as he stood in the temple area and quietly spoke of these things and said what would happen and then of course I want to uh, look at. Um, there's a few more wee things here we wanted to look at before I get to the fig tree because um, yeah Jesus said there would be persecution and imprisonment and his disciples would be brought before kings and rulers but he would help them so that they would become a testimony for his namesake we read that you see part of that's already happened because after Jesus went back to heaven there was a period when a persecution broke out in the early church and if you read the book of Acts you'll see that that very early on Stephen was a martyr very very early on and that was the beginning of it remember the apostle Paul stood beside as they stoned him to death because of his love for Jesus and and then there was James he was the brother of Jesus he was also a martyr and then there was Peter who was crucified upside down and 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 so on and so on and Paul himself was, uh, was we believe beheaded because of his faith so we could see that there was persecution in the early church but you know what happened instead of it instead of it stamping Christianity out it actually inflamed and it spread the gospel because people had to scatter abroad and they began to carry the gospel across the earth and so the the what Jesus said was true that they shouldn't that there would be persecution that there would be people who would be killed and and, and all the rest of it but that they should remember that 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 God would use their testimony for the furtherance of his kingdom. And here's the amazing thing. How on earth did a handful of uneducated people, men and women, in the early church? I mean, how, how did it happen? Tash was here on Sunday and she kept repeating about 120 people in the upper room praying on Pentecost. And out of that, the world was changed forever. A handful of people who were uneducated because they knew the God of heaven and because of their experience with Jesus and their life transforming salvation, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in them and through them, this world has never been the same. And the gospel has gone out across the earth and continues to go out across the earth. And Jesus said that, uh, in, uh, he said that in Matthew 24, I didn't read it, but it's, he said that lawlessness would abound and that the love of many would grow cold, but those who endured to the end would be saved. Jesus said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Listen, and then the end would come. So what have we seen? We have seen persecution right from the very days of the early church. We have seen it spread across the world and we see it continuing and we see it growing and increasing. The persecution now against Christians in this planet right now is happening every day. Day and daily people are being, I mean, we don't see the half of it on the, remember that the, that the enemy, Satan himself, is called the God of this world. He's called the prince of the power of the air. 
Where do the airwaves go through? Where do we get our television from? Where is it coming? It's coming from the air. I'll tell you that the enemy is controlling what we see on our televisions. He's controlling what we are fed, how we are, how we are, um, what we are led to believe, and we do not realise. And we are a lot of us are totally oblivious to the amount of Christians who are being killed. I mean, only in the news the other night it said about some guy who was a suicide who went to three different churches and and uh, and just burned the church down and kill so many people. This is happening day and daily and it's on the increase. And Jesus said it would be on the increase. But he said that the gospel of the kingdom would be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end would come. What's happening in our world today? Well, over the centuries, yes, there's been wars and lawlessness has increased, definitely. Violence is on the increase. We know that with all the wars that happened from the early days after Jesus returned to heaven, the early church, we know that there was constant wars. We know that. We know there was constant bloodshed and violence. We know that that the First World War, it was awful, the blood that was shed. We know that the Second World War, that there were up to six million Jews exterminated in the Second World War. We know that these things have happened. We know that right now that there are terrorist groups across our world and that so many people are being killed. It's on the increase, guys. And yet, and yet here's here's a statistic. This is this is a statistic that has been given about the increase of the gospel and how it has spread. According to statistics, over the past a hundred years, the number of Christians in the world has quadrupled from about 600 million in 1910 to more than 2 billion presently. Today, even though many hearts have grown cold towards the gospel, many have endured and are enduring in this world so that Christianity is now the world's largest religious group. And you know what? It's growing. And you know what? If you look at our young people and look at this generation of young people that's rising up, I'll tell you, they are burning in a way that we didn't burn. I am seeing something happening now where young people have a passion for Jesus, where they're ready to give their lives for him. And where they're going out across this planet and they're carrying the good news of the gospel. Do you know why? Because it's burning in their hearts to see his kingdom come. Because they know that until the gospel reaches every nation, they know that Jesus is not coming back. And his kingdom is not going to be set up. And now I want to get specifically to uh, this prophecy about the fig tree. Let's read it. I haven't time to, to do this one. And it verse blah blah blah. Right, mine. Luke twenty one, verse twenty five to twenty eight. We haven't time to really look at that. I'm going to skip on to verse 29, except to say that in verses 25 to 28, it talks about signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring and men's hearts failing them, etc., etc. Have we been seeing signs in the sun? Are we seeing an increase in blood moons and all these different things? All these different things that are happening. The scientists are telling it's happening and this is happening. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of strange things happening in the, in the, in the sun and the stars, etc. Remember the wise men followed the star? See, God speaks in the heavenlies. There's things to be seen in the stars. I, I knew a guy, um, he was a preacher, a brethren preacher, who's made it his study, a lifetime study, of looking at the stars. And he, he was able to give us so much stuff that he could see in the stars, in the, in the different, uh, I, I haven't got the, the language for it, but I'll tell you, our planet is busting with God speaking. Yeah. He's speaking through everything. If we would only open our eyes and our ears, God is speaking to us through his creation and through the things that are happening in our history books. And so uh, we haven't time to really look at that, except at the very end it says, it says that after we begin to see these things all lining up with the, 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 the problems and the, the wars and the, 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 the catastrophes and all of that, it says, then it says they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when we see these things begin to happen, look at this, when we see these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because 
Your redemption draws near. Listen, we have a great future. This is not stuff to depress us. This is actually stuff to let us see that God is moving alongside of the evil. God's plans and purposes for his kingdom are rising and it's all going to happen. I believe this is quite key here as we look at the parable of the fig tree in Luke chapter 21, verse 29. Then Jesus spoke to them a parable. Look at the fig tree. Remember, the fig tree was always a picture of Israel. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourself that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Okay, what's the fig tree? What does it mean when you see the fig tree blossom? I know there's many of you who know this, but I just want you to get excited about it all over again. Because you see, the the Jewish people were scattered. We've said that. Way back in AD 70, whenever the temple was destroyed, and, and the Jews were taken out of their country and led across the earth, scattered. As far as the world was concerned, they would never be back. They would never be a nation again. They were completely scattered. But you see, God's word in the Old Testament had said something different. Let me read a prophecy from Amos 9. It says, Behold, the day has come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste places and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them in their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. Amos chapter 9, 13 to 15. And then, of course, there's the prophecy in Ezekiel, which we have to read. Thus saith the Lord, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side, and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountain of Israel. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37 is a prophecy about the dead bones. The dead bones line, which is a picture of Israel. Dead, dry bones. And the prophecy was that there would be a great sound and the bones would come together. Listen, it happened when Israel came back into the land. It happened in 1948. It happened when Israel became a nation again. That was was the budding of the fig tree. That was the sign that Jesus said we should look for. When you see the fig tree blossom, know that summer is nigh. That means the end of times is nigh. No, by no means that this generation shall by no means pass away until all these things shall come to pass. Now, the Jewish people became a nation in 1948 through the Balfour Declaration through Britain. It was very complicated and there was a lot of opposition and all the rest of it, but God overruled. Do you know he used people like Spurgeon and Jesse Riley, these great preachers who knew the scriptures and loved the word of God. He used men like that to speak into Lord Balfour's life. Do you know that Balfour was an evangelical believer? And he and some others were instrumental in, in getting together that, that in, in the end that the Jews were given their own land back in 1948. It was the, the Balfour Declaration was actually given in 19, 1917, but they didn't actually become a nation until 1948. Just this information here, just a couple of things that I think it's worthwhile just to say, that in, in 1882, the first wave of modern immigration to Israel started. I, I think this is really interesting. Because without anybody doing any big thing, these Jews began to come way back, as far back as 1882. Most of them came from, um, most of them came from uh, Russia. They bought land from Ottoman and individual Arab landowners, and they established agricultural settlements. And during this period, the Hebrew language was revived. They'd lost their language and everything. They revived the language. Do you know that the prophecy was given in Zephaniah 3 that there would be a pure language restored? 
You see, God was moving away back then, even before the Balfour Declaration. God was moving. He was drawing his people back to their land. And they were coming. They actually began to come from, I think it was a hundred and, I don't know where I've written it down there, 103, is it? Different uh, countries. Yeah, 108 nations, yes. During the last 130 years, Jews from 108 nations have migrated to the land of Israel. I mean, can you get your head around that? 108 nations. And it's like God has drawn them from nations even before they got their own land, before they became a nation. And they they began to cultivate the land. Now listen. My first experience in Israel was in the, in the 70s. I went to Israel in the 70s, and the, 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 when we were in Jerusalem, the Lord Mayor of Jerusalem invited our group to come on a visit. And I remember that man standing up, and I remember he just said, do you see it? The, the desert is blossoming like a rose. And you know, we could have wept because that's a direct fulfillment of scripture and he knew it because God had fulfilled what he said he would fulfill. He said he would draw them from every corner of the earth. Just like Ezekiel's dry bones, they would come to life again. The nation would come to life again. It's interesting as well that um, that uh, Israel has now been in the land for 70 years. Did you notice that yesterday they were celebrating 70 years as a nation in the land? I don't know about you, but I'm 70. They became a nation in... I'm 71, actually. They became a nation... <laughs> better add them one on. They became a nation in 1948. I was born in 47. So I consider myself to be alongside, time-wise, alongside the nation of Israel. And I think that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus said, when you see the fig tree blossom, know that summer is nigh. This generation shall not pass away until all these things will be fulfilled. Now, the Bible says, and Jesus said we shouldn't, we don't know the time. Jesus said, you don't know the time and place. But he says, it'll be like Noah. He said, there'll be two in the field and one will be two. We know that he's coming back. We don't know exactly how it's going to happen. We don't know exactly the timing. But Jesus did say that we should look at the signs. Now listen, the wise men that we looked at at the very beginning, they were wise because they were looking at the signs. They were looking at Daniel's prophecy. They were looking and they were counting up and calculating. So they knew when to come and bring their gifts. They came dead on time because they were wise. And we need to be reading the signs. Not that we're, not that we're doom and gloom, but that we are getting excited. Did you not notice what Jesus said? He said, when you see these things, lift up your head. Begin to get excited because your redemption draws nigh and because Jesus is coming back. Now, I know there's lots of confusion about the tribulation period because Jesus did say there would be a time of great tribulation. And I know I've only just skimmed over the surface of this today. I know that I'm not doing maybe a very good job of it, but I'm trying to pick out a few things. But there's so much to this. But Jesus said there would be great tribulation. And some Christians think that happened way back, you know, in the early church. Some of them think it happened around the time of the destruction of the temple. Others think it's still to come. Some people, myself included, I'm inclined to think that there's still one week of years of prophecy that is still to be fulfilled. Other Christians would say, no, I think that's past right now. We're not arguing about it because you know what? It doesn't actually matter about the exact order of how things need to come or are going to come. What we need to know is that he's coming back. What we need to know is he's coming back and he's coming back for us. And he's coming back to set up his kingdom. And he wants us to be those who are devoted to him. Those like the wise men who are, those men were devoted. They had studied and they brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I don't know what you think, but carrying that through the desert. For how long would it have taken them on foot with camels to come from Babylon the whole way across to Jerusalem? How long, how devoted were they? And how necessary it was that they came not to, to worship him. Fabulous, yes, primarily to worship him. But also that those gifts were timely when he was taken down into Egypt and, and Mary and Joseph needed that, those finances to keep them during that time when they were, had, to, had to be taken out of the country for safety's sake. You see, God wants us to be devoted to him. And he wants us to be willing 
to make a bit of a journey if we have to, to put ourselves out if we have to. He wants us to be willing to give everything we've got to him. That we're saying, Lord, we're sold out for you. Where do you need me? What do you want to do with me? We need to know that God has a plan for every life. Every single one of you, God has a plan for your life. He has given you an ability to talk to people that nobody else could talk to. He has given you a voice. He's given you his word. He wants his word to become precious to you. You know, so many people that I meet seem to think that you have to know reams and reams and you need to know the whole Bible off by heart. And yet, it's great to study the word. We're meant to study the word. But you know what? You can be refreshed by one or two <coughs> verses. One verse, one line of scripture can lift you up. Would you agree with me? In the prayer room today, um, Phyllis, I think it was, said that she'd been really touched just by that little phrase out of the Bible, he restoreth my soul. And we just thought, what does that mean? What's your soul? Your soul is your mind and your will and your emotion. That's what God does. He wants to bring those. He wants to restore the joy. He wants to restore the equilibrium to get you all stabilised and sort of that you're thinking and, and feeling the way you're meant to think and feel and, and, and live. God wants to restore us. Psalm 23. There's enough in Psalm 23 to keep us going. Just to read one verse a day. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Is that not a good pep pill for every day of the week? Surely. Not possibly. Not maybe God will be good to me. But surely his goodness and his mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, that's enough to know that he's shepherding, looking at. What does a shepherd do? He feeds and he leads and he comforts. Listen, guys, don't let the enemy tell you that you aren't good enough or you don't know enough scripture and therefore you can't be a good Christian. That's a load of baloney. Take one verse and start to talk to God about it and ask the Holy Spirit to make it precious to your heart. Do you know, I loved it here. I was here on Sunday night and you know, I could have just wept. I was so excited when Philip was speaking about the word of God. Oh, I just, honestly, I meant to text Philip afterwards to tell him how much he blessed me on Sunday night. God's word is wonderful. God's word is, is the comfort that we need. We need God's word. It's so precious. It says in, in Psalm 19 that his word is perfect, that it changes and converts our soul, that's our mind and our will and our emotions. That God's word is pure, that it makes people who are just simple, it makes them wise. God wants us to take this and, and experience what his, what his, it says his words rejoice our heart. So often I've been in a real bad place and feeling a bit down and feeling discouraged and I've just read a few verses and they've just touched because it's supernatural living word that the Holy Spirit takes. And you know what? I want to really encourage you to get alone with the word of God and just take a, just a little line of it. Go, and, go home and read Psalm 23 or Psalm 19 or whatever. The word is, it says it's more to be desired than fine gold. When Philip started to talk about this on Sunday night, I could have cried. I said, yes, Philip, it is. It's, it's the best. It's the best thing you could ever have. Better than any, anything that this world has. Better than fine gold. It says it's sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. It's so sweet. God wants to, he wants to, he wants us to enjoy him. And he is the word. And I love what Philip said about the word of God. This is, this, this is him. This is his word. He is the word. And we need to take this and put it into our, into our hearts, into our minds. And let him restore our souls so that we get strong, so that we grow. Because this is our opportunity to grow and, and learn. Learn his word and, and learn to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us so that we can be obedient and be like that widow woman who didn't have very much but Jesus took note of what she was putting into that treasure. Jesus takes note and it's not just about giving financially that's great if we can do that and, and you know God 
we're, there's a blessing in giving financially, but it's giving of who we are. It's giving our time. It's giving our energy. It's being willing to do that kind deed, to bless that person. Do you know what? There's a blessing in all of those things, and we please God when we, when we minister to each other and when we love him. And so I believe today that God wants us to be really, really encouraged. I want to be really, really encouraged that he is on the move and he wants us to keep in step with him. Did you notice that it said many would, would lose their love, many would grow cold? Just an interesting thing I read here that today more and more people are living primarily for themselves and their own happiness. The idea of denying themselves or taking up their crosses daily and following Jesus is a foreign concept. What the TV and the movies show as normal has affected the values of those who indulge in them. At the same time, so on, we see other things happening in our world, like divorce and all of the other immoral things that are happening in our, in our world. And we think, see of the, the amount of, of unborn babies that are being massacred across our planet and nothing to say. I think it was Philip the other morning, the other week, he said, uh, people get so concerned about baby seals dying. And rightly so, we don't want to see animals suffering. But people get so moved by things like that. But nothing about a fetus, nothing about a baby, an unborn baby being killed. It's, we're living, I tell you what, we're living in days that are unprecedented, apart from actually the early chapters of Noah in, in the book of Genesis when we read about Noah. Do you know what? The way, the things that were happening in Noah's day are actually the things that are happening nowadays. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the last days. Do you know why, what I really wanted to do today? I just wanted to really alert you. I wanted to really uh, just awaken again that sense of, of need to read the signs. That, that realisation that, that yesterday, as, as um, so, much, uh, so much is happening over in Israel at the moment, and we love the, the we love the Arab nation, and we, we long to see them saved. And we're praying in this church specifically now that Ramadan is starting this week. We are praying that the, that Jesus will reveal Himself to them, and and we, we love them. But you know what? We 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 have to say that regardless of what you think about the Jewish people or about Israel, you've got to recognise that things have have actually moved into place. They're 70 years back in their land, four o'clock yesterday, to the, to the moment, 70 years back in the land. Against all the odds, no one would have thought it was possible. I remember speaking to a man many, many years ago, and he said, the greatest sign that the Bible is true is the Jewish nation. The prophecies that have been fulfilled, unbelievable. And here we are. And we're, we're on the brink of what God is going to do, of how he's going to bring his kingdom in, of the plans that he has for all of us in his kingdom. And today I believe he wants all of you to lift up your heads. He wants you to know that your redemption's drawn near. Yes, we're enduring. He said, he said many of us have to endure, and there's some things to endure through. There's some things to push through. But you know what? We're meant to help each other in that. We're, meant to, we're all part of one body. He is our head, and he's coming back. He's going to rule, and we're part of his body, the church. We're his bride, and we're meant to bless each other and encourage each other to endure, to go through the tough times, and to see God helping us and speaking into our lives. I just feel today to encourage you that God loves you, that he takes note of those little things that you're doing for the kingdom. He takes note of those moments that you're setting aside and you're just giving him some time to read his word and speak to him. That the Holy Spirit is right there beside you, wanting to encourage you, and it's the Holy Spirit who will teach you the word and make the word living to you. And if you're not enjoying God's word, ask the Holy Spirit to help you because the Holy Spirit will make it alive to you. And we can help each other and we can, we, can, we can begin to know more and more of God and grow up just as a baby has to get milk to start with before it can go on to solids. So new believers, if you're a new believer, be encouraged. You're still in milk. Don't be trying to eat solid bread or a big hunk of meat. Take the, take the milk of the word, the simple things, and allow the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit to help you, and he will. 
Father, I thank you that you want to speak to all our hearts today. And I thank you, God, that you want to awaken us to the signs that we see around us. We see our world moving and shaping, Lord, up for the things that your prophesied are still to come to pass. Lord, we, we praise you and we worship you that, that you are with us even today. And Lord, I just ask right now that as we would sing this song and remember, Lord, that you are the King of Kings, that you are all majesty, that you came to this earth to die as a sacrifice for our sins, but that you have promised that you are coming back again. And that we are, we are, we're your friends, Lord. We're your bride. We're the ones that you give your life for. Lord, we want to sing about you and worship you today, and we want to thank you for all that you've done. Lord, we just pray now that you would drop your word. Holy Spirit, would you just speak words of encouragement, words of life into all our hearts, as we just thank you for all that Jesus has done for us, and we thank you for all that he's going to do, and we, we look forward to seeing his face when he comes. We look forward to seeing him come back to this world, because for sure he is coming. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we stand on the Mount of Olives so often, we just remember that he's coming back. He's coming back. And we're going to be rising to meet him in the air. You know, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, where it said he would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He'd be wounded for our transgressions. He fulfilled those prophecies to the letter. Psalm 22, all the sufferings, describing crucifixion, which was unknown at that time. He fulfilled it, fulfilled those prophecies down to every last point. But you know what? He's coming back and he's going to fulfill the other prophecies, the ones that talk about his deity. It says in Revelation 5, you have redeemed us to God by your blood, and out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom. And strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honour and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. We need to know that we have one who's coming back for us, who is King of Kings and Lord of, all, Lord, Lord of Lords. And he's the one that we're waiting for. We're here today. If you want to come up and get some prayer, please come. There's a few of us here who pray with you. If not, we'll see you next week. God bless.